if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past clock. Thank you so much for being with us. Great conversation with a lot of good callers in the last segment. We'll return to your phone calls at the bottom of this hour at 1035 when we complete our conversation with our next guest, our regular Thursday guest. And of course, you know, I speak of the former university president. We talk about the best-selling author, the weekly columnist for the Washington Times, and a radio show host in Oklahoma, as well as a highly sought-after speaker and political pundit. He is Dr. Everett Piper, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm actually almost a neighbor right now. I'm out on Lake Ontario vacationing a bit. Very nice. I know you were traveling last week, so uh, so I'm glad to know that uh, the vacation is going well. Dr. Piper, um, there are a few things I want to talk about. Usually we start uh, with your column in the Washington Times from the previous weekend and uh, the 4th of July. You did run a really interesting piece that I want to talk about. But since you reminded me that you were a co-litigant in the Little Sisters of the Poor case, which finally came down uh, to a Supreme Court verdict announced yesterday, a 7-2 to decision in favor of the Little Sisters and their religious liberty, and thus the religious liberty of all um, institutions, uh, particularly those of faith, that do not want to provide uh, birth control or abortifacients or anything of that sort to their employees uh, because it violates the tenets of their faith. Uh, tell us more about that case and remind us of your role as a co-litigant. When I was president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and right after Obamacare took effect and became the law of the land, we sued the federal government and said, no, Oklahoma Wesleyan, by definition, is a pro-life institution. Every employee that I hired had to subscribe to God-defining life, not you, not me, not the government, but God-defined life from conception to completion. Likewise, a Catholic organization, the Little Sisters of the Poor, said the same. Well, as you know, the Obamacare mandate was that we were required to include abortifacient drugs in the health care packages of our institutions. Now, in the Little Sisters of the Poor case, this is incredibly asinine. I mean, stop and think about it. It's a Catholic organization, and last I knew, Catholics are pro-life, by definition. I mean, this comes all the way from the Vatican all the way down. Catholics subscribe to a pro-life agenda. Likewise, 
<laughs> they don't, you don't use contraception. And the little sisters are celibate. So there's all sorts of reasons to just say, what? You're requiring an order of nuns to include contraception in their health care? They don't want it. They don't use it. They won't use it. Why in the world is the federal government picking on these poor little nuns? Well, Oklahoma Wesleyan joined in that case. We were co-litigants in suing the federal government and saying no. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. I actually had the privilege of sitting in chambers at the Supreme Court when, I, when our case was heard a few years ago. Now, here's, here, I'll say this. Okay. I think Ted Cruz had the perfect quote on this. When you find yourself arguing with a bunch of nuns, you might be on the wrong side of the debate. <laughs> very well, very well that said. That was his indeed. defense of the little sisters. Now, Go ahead. Now, now Dr. Piper, um, what we have here is, and this is a great victory, and I'm very, very glad to see this, but what do you make of the fact that we are getting this conflicting message from the Supreme Court. Because last week, or actually I think it's been two weeks ago now, they they announced, maybe it was last week, um, their decision on, which you and I discussed at some length, their decision on um, equal access, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, expanding that to cover genders or the various myriad of genders that people are trying to equate with sex, male and female, in order to provide uh, p- public accommodations for these individuals. Again, uh, and, and I think one of the uh, press cases there was the funeral home that told a male uh, when he applied for the job as funeral director uh, that there there was a strict dress code that that had to be followed which was agreed to and then of course that individual decided I'm a woman and started to dress as a woman and and the funeral home said you can't do that or else you know you're gonna create a huge stir for people who are trying to grieve for their loved ones but that was part of um, a couple of cases that the court heard and decided against the businesses, saying people can can do whatever they want, even if what they are doing violates uh, the religious principles of the org- uh, of the organization. So we're getting kind of a mixed message here from the court, aren't we? Uh, indeed, we are. I, I'm I'm not all that convinced that we've got a conservative Supreme Court. We hear it all the time in the mainstream media, Bob, that somehow we've got a conservative majority in the Supreme Court right now. Well, some of these cases don't seem to be all that conservative, in in my view, and the two that you just referred to uh, would fall into this category of uh, less than fully conservative. I would think I would consider them liberal rulings. But in this particular case, and frankly, it's a very narrow ruling. Yes, there was a seven to two ruling, and it seems to be a heavy majority. But but it was merely a ruling in favor of the president being able to grant an exemption to religious organizations. Well, if Joe Biden becomes president and he reverses that exemption then will the Supreme Court grant him the privilege of, uh, of his executive prerogative to reverse that? That will come up if Joe Biden gets elected. So I don't know that it's a take-home victory. It's a victory nonetheless for now, but I don't see this as a victory that just slams the door forever against those that are trying to force pro-life organizations to buy abortifacient drugs and to provide abortion services for people that work for them that don't want this stuff. Here's the other thing. I mean, I, I want to make this clear before we get off this story. The Little Sisters are Catholic. The Little Sisters are nuns. The Little Sisters are celibate. They don't want contraception. They're not going to use contraception. And here's the other thing. The Little Sisters are women. Okay? All these are self-evident truths. The Little Sisters are women. What gives the federal government the right to tell a bunch of women what they must include in their health care package. Don't these women understand their bodies, their values, their religion, and their own choices better than some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C.? So not only is this anti-religious in terms of imposing this on the Little Sisters, but it's misogynistic. It's anti-woman 
for someone else to tell women women what they must buy in their health care packages, even though they don't want it and won't use it. That is exactly correct, uh, Dr. Piper. And uh, and again, you're right. I'm with you. I do not believe this to be a conservative court. The left did everything they could to stop the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh because they thought it would tilt it to a conservative court. It is not in any way, shape, or form when the chief justice is as equally liberal as he is conservative. And by the way, it's not supposed to be ideological anyway. The court is supposed to be made up of originalists who look at the Constitution and interpret it based on what it was, what was written, not what their personal feelings are. And that is a huge problem in and of itself. Let's take this natural break before we talk about your column this week and we talk about while the rest of the nation being fixated on race relations and pandemics a cabal of global elites are kind of conspiring to essentially destroy the very foundation of what the united states and really the global economy uh is uh is built upon so we're going to talk about that with dr piper after this on am 1420 the answer Okay, it's 1020 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer, with our friend Dr. Everett Piper, uh, who's a former university president and weekly columnist for The Washington Times, among other titles. And I want to focus now, Dr. Piper, on your latest column for The Washington Times. I want to tell people, or I want you to tell people, about the WEC, the World Economic Forum, which is essentially, as I said before, it's a cabal of global elites, including some Americans, including the father of the Internet, if you ask him, and the father of the global warming hoax, if you ask anybody with a brain, and it is a hoax, Al Gore, getting together and essentially trying to destroy the basic foundation of capitalism in the United States and around the world, a resetting of the entire global economic system. Now, this might sound like, ah, oh, nobody's going to be able to do that, but you uh, you have some very important information that you share in this week's article. Why don't you tell us about it? The World Economic Council met, um, and at this World Economic Council meeting, uh, these people were, were in attendance. Prince Charles, the United Nations Secretary General, the CEO of MasterCard, the CEO of British Petroleum, the chief economist for the International Monetary Fund, and Al Gore. These are just some of the elites, the intelligentsia, that were at this meeting. Now, here's the thing. They came out of the meeting. While we're all distracted with the riots and with the pandemic, it's basically the magician's trick. They're basically saying, look over there, look at the riots, look at the pandemic, look at all the bad news, and then they're off at the World Economic Forum planning what they've actually called this is their language not mine not yours they call it the great reset al gore actually went on cbs news and admitted this the great reset where they look to reset global capitalism and all other political and social structures and they use this language to use the opportunities presented by the coronavirus pandemic to orchestrate this great reset. Here's a quote from Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. He wrote this, I quote, every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to technology must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. That's his quote. They go on and report out of this forum that their full intention 
is basically to do what Rahm Emanuel said when he was leading Barack Obama's administration. Never let a good crisis go to waste. They have an opportunity to gain control, to redistribute wealth across the world and to force the entire economic as well as social and political structures to reset themselves in keeping with what they think is best for all of us. In other words, it's all for your own good. The world's going to burn from global warming and climate change. You're all going to die from the coronavirus. Let us, the elites, the intelligentsia, take control of everything. We will reset it and save all of you. It is just an incredible um, ploy of hubris where they are so arrogant as as to suggest that you are too stupid to know how to run your life, and therefore we will use this opportunity and this crisis to take charge of everything. Dr. Piper, these globalists um, are merely following the same playbook, or the playbook is being followed here in the United States uh, of these globalists um, when we look at things like the Green New Deal. Now, you and I have talked about that for uh, a, you know a, a considerable amount of time over the course of the last few months. The Green New Deal being proposed and pushed by Bernie Sanders and by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and many others essentially destroys and resets, if you will, all of those industries you just talked about from oil to gas to tech etc etc and uh you know this is something that essentially is laughed at here in the united states but with the power of the global elites behind them if a joe biden administration takes over if a biden administration is coupled by a chuck schumer led senate and of course the pelosi led house um I, I, I don't see any way to stop it. And, and I'm not just trying to, you know, to, to be hyperbolic here when I say that maybe this election coming up on November 3rd is for the very survival of this republic as we know it. But everything that you are reporting on from that World Economic Forum would indicate that it is. Absolutely. And here, the, the key words, the co-word, code words, excuse me, that we hear all the time today, we need to be attentive to them. Every time you hear the words justice and equality and fairness and tolerance, every time you hear the word redistribution, you need to understand that it means something. It means something. These words mean something in the, as they're coming out of the mouths of the powerful. And really what it means is complete and total consolidation of all of their power, all of their privilege, and all of our property into the hands of a few. And this is going to sound like I'm an alarmist, but stop and think about it. If they gain this much power over our personal lives, do you think your home and your savings account and your retirement assets are safe? I would suggest that if you do, you need to think again. Well, somebody might say, well, how are they going to access my retirement account? Through taxation. If they start elevating taxes as part of this strategy of resetting capitalism, then you can be taxed into the point where your retirement account and even your home that you have paid off is now taxed so highly that you're going to lose a great portion of it, if not all of it, at the hands of these great planners of our destiny. They are in charge. They're going to take control. And you know, I closed my article by quoting Animal Farm and George Orwell, where yeah. they, Orwell says, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Well, that's exactly what Al Gore and these elitists think of themselves. They're more equal than you and me. 
We've got three minutes left. Let's talk about the third story we wanted to talk about because it'll tie right into this. I mentioned that if Biden wins, if the Democrats win the Senate, et cetera, et cetera, this is what is in store for us. That's going to happen if these multitudes of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds currently in America's universities um, leave those universities or, or their classes, rather, for the young, young ones. But they leave those classes with all of that indoctrination, that liberal indoctrination, that globalism that we just talked about uh in in their in their heads and in their hearts and that's exactly what's going on and you quoted a piece or actually you and i shared a piece of uh uh, by uh, victor davis hansen about universities sowing the seeds of their own obsolescence and uh you know we talk about the danger that the universities are in if they continue this but i'm more worried about the danger the country is in if they continue to turn out kids with these beliefs yeah this is this is in my wheelhouse obviously i have i have been ringing this bell for two decades or more what is taught today in the classroom always is practiced tomorrow in the culture. We've got many people looking around right now wondering what the heck, heck happened. How did this chaos just spring out of nowhere into our streets? Black Lives Matter, Antifa, all these 18-year-olds protesting and criticizing the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, tearing down statues not only of Columbus but Washington, and even defacing Lincoln. And in Rochester, New York, just a... Don't throw away from where I am right now, vacationing. They tore down a statue of Frederick Douglass, my land, this past weekend. So why? The question is, how did this happen? Well, I can tell you how it happened. It happened in your schools. As you all are being distracted with other things, your schools for decades have been teaching this nonsense. And when you teach nonsense, you can expect a culture that has no sense. When you teach narcissism, you can expect a bunch of 18-year-old narcissists. When you teach self-actualization rather than self-control, you can expect a bunch of selfish, prancing, preening 18-year-olds destroying your streets. This all goes back to your schools, your elementary schools, your junior highs and your high schools, and your colleges and universities are guilty of this. We created this monster, and it's turning around to consume us. Dr. Everett Piper laying it out, and you're 100% right. It is going to consume us. As I said, they're, they're going to practice it, and everything you said they're, ta- they're being taught, they're going to practice in the culture, and I fear that it's going to start for so many of them on November 3rd, and it's going to put us directly in the, uh, the horrific position that you describe uh, in your article. Dr. Piper, thank you for sounding the alarm. Keep sounding the alarm. We've got a very short period of time left to really open the eyes of a lot of people to what uh, – uh, what they are inviting into the United States from the global elites, Dr. Piper. And thank you so much for your time. All right, blessing. Take care. 10.30, time for news. We've got open phones the rest of the way. No matter what you want to talk about, it is fair game for me. Call 216-901-0945. We'll call it a free-for-all Thursday uh, instead of our free-for-all Friday for the last 30 minutes. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. And we'll talk to you on 1420 The Answer. Okay, 1036, we continue now. 
On uh, AM 1420, The Answer. Um, I said that we were going to have open phone lines the rest of the way, uh, but then I was just notified during the bottom of the hour break that an interview we have been chasing is going to happen, and it's going to happen in just a couple of minutes here, and that is Ohio State Representative um, Nino Vitale. Now, we've talked to Representative Vitale before. is a very, very strong proponent of reopening Ohio in full. He is an opponent of mandatory masks, and he is an opponent of uh, the governor's essentially... Uh, his entire response to the uh, to the coronavirus pandemic, and now he is a national subject of conversation. Yesterday, he was trending on Twitter. Was Representative Vitale for a letter that he wrote, uh, essentially, and posted it on Facebook, advising all Ohioans to stop getting to stop getting tested. Ordered them, or not ordered them, but advised them to stop getting tested for coronavirus. Are you tired of living in a dictatorship yet, he wrote. This is what happens when people go crazy and get tested. Stop getting tested. He went on to explain in his post, did Representative Vitale, that the number of tests that are being done are make, is making it appear that the spread of the virus is much more severe than it actually is. Um, let me read a little bit of his post before, while we uh, get him on the line. He said... It is giving the government an excuse to claim something is happening that is not happening at the magnitude that they say it is. Have you noticed they never talk about deaths anymore, just cases? And they never talk about recoveries. They just keep adding the number to numbers that they have been feeding us from over three months ago. And then he puts a link to the map, the so-called map, the coronavirus, coronavirus Ohio map, uh, that uh, Jack Windsor and I have been talking about as well. Now, Jack uh, from WMFD-TV, the reporter who has been really the pain in the rear end of, uh, of Mike DeWine, has gotten the governor's office to admit that positive cases are not new patients. In other words, when we hear that there have been, you know, 200 new cases or 500 new cases or 900 new cases, that doesn't mean 200 or 500 or 900 new people have been affected. Many of these people are being tested uh, for, you know, multiple times, which happens when you test positive and you get put into quarantine or isolation. In many circumstances, they will keep testing to see when you are no longer positive so that you can indeed be released from that quarantine or isolation. So people are being tested two, three, four, five, eight times, whatever the case may be, and then they call them all positive cases. So Representative Vitale is saying, just stop being tested. First of all, it's not very dangerous to you know the vast majority of the public. Now, if you are ill and if you do have symptoms that indicate you might be positive, then go get a test to find out, like you would, to go to the hospital if you know if your throat hurts to see if you have strep, uh, to see if you have the flu or whatever the case might be, so that you can you know so that you can treat it appropriately. But if you are just a random person wondering, hey, do I have it? Uh, maybe I'm asymptomatic. He's saying essentially, stop being tested. Uh, the most recent data buried, this is today's post from Nino Vitale. Actually, let me just quote this. He said, you do know that um, if your county hits level four on the DeWine Houston fear map, your county will go into automatic lockdown. You'll be told you can only move around for essential services again. Yesterday, a July 8th Columbus dispatch headline screams, Ohio's spike continues with forced fourth highest number of daily cases. The most recent data buried in Ohio's COVID-19 website shows a positive daily test rate, a percentage of 5% as of July 6th, stated the Ohio State News uh, uh, House News article. The highest daily percentage positive rate was 37%, reported on April 19th. 
The lowest daily percentage uh, percentage positive rate was 3% reported on June 8th. We aren't seeing an increase in the actual percentage of positive tests. A surge in the new reported cases is only happening because Ohio has quadrupled its daily testing over the past several months. So Vitaly's point is that um, uh, that if we stop taking healthy people or people who are not symptomatic or concerned about their actual health, if we stop taking them and uh, having them show up in pop-up testing centers in, in all kinds of places, then the government will not be able to scream, spike, spike, spike. Surge, surge, surge. New implementation of, of restrictions. More mask mandates. More limited um, uh, openings. Uh, uh, limited uh, gatherings, et cetera, et cetera. All of the things that we are seeing. And I'm told uh, Representative Nina Vitale is on the air now on AM 1420. The answer, let's, so let's uh, bring him on to discuss this in more depth. Representative Vitale, good to have you back on our program here in Cleveland. How are you? I'm well, sir. Sorry about that. Having a little cell phone issues down here. I don't know if our service is rough, but uh, I hope it's okay now. You sound clear as a bell right now, so that's the important thing. So that's great. great. Okay. Great. Uh, Representative Vitale, uh, I read with great interest your post yesterday on Facebook in which you encouraged people to stop getting tested in the state of Ohio so that Ohio can't start screaming, look at that, look at the number of cases, spike, 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 and surge, right. surge, surge. And I just thought it was us. Then I checked Twitter, and I saw you were trending nationally uh, as people are looking, who's this Ohio uh, uh, a representative who's telling people to not get tested? So uh, naturally, the fear mongers were coming for you with a vengeance yesterday. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about why you are advising Ohioans to not get tested, and how do you respond to those critics? Well, uh, if you look at my post today, what you will see is... Um if you it voluntary testing equals mandatory lockdowns. Now let me say that again because this is really important that, that everybody understands. Voluntary testing equals mandatory lockdowns. Now how does that work? If you look at the new chart that DeWine and Houston and the health directors came up with, which we think Acton's gone, but she's still there making one hundred and eighty five thousand dollars a year. Um, they're level four, which, you know, those seven counties that were, that were put under the mask mandate because they hit level three. If a county in Ohio hits level four by their criteria, that they being Houston and DeWine, that county goes into instant lockdown. This is all on the COVID Ohio website. It be, you, you go right back into mandatory lockdown like they tried to do to us a couple of months ago. And so people need to understand that if you're not sick, and you're running in there to get tested, and you get tested positive, you are helping yourself and your neighbors and everyone else in your county shut down. You are, you are shutting down all the businesses in your county. That's, that's why I said what I said. Okay, um, and that makes perfect sense to me. Um, if you are healthy, why are you going to get a test? Just so that we can, you know, because the, the whole goal here, and even from the president, is bragging about how we are doing the most testing of anybody in the world, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and that encouragement of people who are not even symptomatic to go and find out if they have the virus or if they have had the virus is leading to all of the things you're talking about, the mandatory lockdown. So, what, what do we do? I mean, you're, you know, you're kind of tilting at windmills here, aren't you? Even the president is saying, test, 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 test. Now, I know he said in his Tulsa appearance, maybe we should stop testing so much. But in every other appearance, he has said we're, he's proud of the fact that, that the United States of America is testing so many people. So what do, what do we do here? Who, who do we listen to? 
Um, I think we should. I think we should listen to how we've always lived our lives, and how we've always lived our lives is when you're healthy, you get up in the morning, you go to work, you live your life, and you live free. If you get up in the morning and you're not feeling well and you're sick, you do the things that you personally think will help you get better. That might mean I'm going to stay home from work. I'm going to rest. I'm going to get some sun. I'm going to eat, uh, take some vitamins or supplements or some cold medicine. Maybe I need to go to the doctor. But what we do is we treat ourselves when we're sick. We don't treat ourselves when we're not sick. And so what I'm trying to do, because I'm one person of 99 and, uh, uh, you know, it seems like the media and everyone else is just saying one, one message. And if you say the wrong message, you get banned. I've been banned by YouTube. I've been banned by Facebook. Um, because what I'm saying is not popular. Mm-hmm. It's not their message. And uh, so my message to people is think, is this how we've lived? Is this how you build a society? Did you get tested in, during the flu season, when you weren't sick. Because I didn't. I've never gotten tested for something unless I'm sick. And then I get tested for something if I need to get tested for it. Agreed. And if, that, you have a sore throat, if you have a sore throat, throat and the accompanying ear pain and these kinds of things, you go and get a strep test. Find out if you have strep throat, treat it with antibiotics, or whatever the case might be. You're right. We don't do this just on the off chance that, hey, I wonder if I have something that I have no symptoms for. I completely agree. Let me move back to your original point, though, about mandatory lockdowns for voluntary testing and those seven yeah. counties that you referenced. I talked to Jack Windsor yesterday, who's a reporter who has been compiling these numbers. Those seven counties... Now, I'm going to go by memory here because I had him on yesterday. I believe he said in those seven counties, there were a grand total of 57 uh, hospitalizations with COVID and two deaths um, in those seven counties combined. Now, I don't know how many counties there are, or excuse me, how many hospitals there are in seven counties, but I'm going to assume a lot, and I'm going to assume that 57 beds being taken by uh, quote-unquote COVID patients is not overwhelming any system, and two deaths in seven counties is pretty doggone tiny. Now, not to say that every life isn't precious, because it is, but that number of deaths should not lead to a widespread mandated order of shutdown of mandatory Maskings, and as you say, one step away from being shut down. How do they justify that, Representative Vitale? Okay, well, what I would say is you just gave your opinion mm-hmm. on what should or shouldn't be for certain numbers that then turn into a lockdown or, or, or mandatory masking or whatever the situation may be. And I agree with your opinion that those numbers are extremely low. I don't even know that we would notice those numbers, quite frankly if nobody was saying anything about them. But your opinion is different than Emperor DeWine uh, and Houston, who are now running the state of Ohio uh, as an oligarchy instead of as a republic. You would not see these kind of decisions coming out of the statehouse, because what we do in the statehouse is we bring in experts, we bring in lots of people with different opinions, we talk to them, we, we listen to them, and then we make good decisions based on 99 people in the House and 33 in the Senate. And that's why you, you see it's very difficult to get a law passed. And it should be. I don't want more laws. I want more freedom. So th- that's the problem we're in now is your opinion is one thing and DeWine's is another. And how do you get your voice heard in the government we now live under? Well, it's going to be through people. You're it's a good. radio station every day. You have yeah. thousands of people, I assume, listening to you, and you can't even get your opinion through. 
No, you're right. And the only way we can all express our opinions is through people like you. You're our representatives. That's exactly the point. We can't get through to DeWine. You know, we have given people the governor's number and they get through this, you know, this circle of hell that is the, uh, you know, the uh, automated answering and they never get an, and then they finally get to the place they need to be and they say the message inbox is full. So nobody can, nobody can register their complaints or their opinions, as you say, with the governor. So we have to go through you, which is why this is so important to talk to you about this. Now, uh, let me ask you about Matt. Masks, Representative Nino Vitale. Um, those seven counties are under mandatory mask orders. Prior to that, the governor just said, by the way, I'm not going to mandate masks throughout the state in public places. But municipalities, you know, mayors, uh, um, uh, townships, etc., your executive officials can order whatever they want. And, of course, they've done that. The city of Cleveland has done that now and a number of others. Uh, Cuyahoga County as a county is going to do that. Why are you opposed to the mask mandates? And by the way, I join you. So this is not a challenging question. I'm looking for more um, support, actually, for my position, that these are ridiculous and they are insane. But why are you so opposed to masks if they might help people? Uh, I am opposed to mask mandates. Um, And the reason that I am opposed to mask mandates is because there is a significant body of research. Uh, I'm up to, let me see, 36, 36, 30, yeah, about 36 studies over the last 15 years that show there is no statistical advantage to wearing a mask that will protect the wearer uh, and or the or society from viral infections. And, but, but what we do have is there, there is evidence that it inhibits oxygen flow, it increases carbon monoxide because you don't get the mixing of air that you're supposed to get. Uh, so there is there is clearly risk with this. Now, just because the media has trumpeted all sorts of, of doctors out that say, oh, no, there's no risk, there's no risk, there's no risk. Well, let's not forget that eight or nine weeks ago they were telling us all, don't wear a mask because it won't do any good. Now, how is it that it's changed so quickly? Did we have time? for longitudinal testing, I mean, we did, and it's been done for 10 or 15 years, and anyone can go to my Facebook page or look up mask research, and you can dig into the details yourself, and you can clearly see there is no evidence for this, none. And so when there's risk, there's got to be choice. Exactly right. And I think that's the key here. You know, those of us who do not believe in masking mandatorily uh, look at other people who choose to do it and, hey, say, good for you. Go, good. You know, go, go do you. You do you, but let me do me. And that's not good enough. It's the maskers and the ones who want to call the police and call 911 and overwhelm dispatch services with complaints that other people aren't wearing masks that are causing the dissension and the problem, I believe, in our state and in this country. Uh, so I'm with you. If you want to wear a mask, wear one. If you don't, don't, but it should not be mandated by government, especially with the questionable numbers uh, of, of quote-unquote, spikes and, uh, and surges that they are presenting to us every day in their briefings. Representative Vitale, keep fighting the good fight. It's important what you're doing, and I thank you so much for making the time today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. You got it. That's Representative Nina Vitale. Joining us, Ohio Representative Nina Vitale, Vitale joining us as we... Uh, Continue on AM 1420.
10.55, final segment this morning. It'll be a short one, and it will be yours. Uh, thanks again to Representative Tally. He came in kind of uh, last second there, so uh, we kind of had to blow through some of the uh, time for the phone calls. Apologies for that. Cheryl is calling us from Lakewood on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Cheryl. Good go morning. ahead. Good morning. I just want to quickly mention the murderous hypocrisy of Black Lives Matter. Um, the Atlanta Crime Stoppers just offered a $3,000 reward for the, for the murderer of uh, Louis Sequoia Turner. That's the eight-year-old who was, was murdered over the weekend. And they released a photo of the prime suspect, who is, surprise, surprise, a Black Lives Matter member holding his AR-15 rifle. And they actually have a video of him as well. And there are two other Black Lives Matters um, members who are being sought. Now, what kind of nonsense is this? That the group that supposedly is out here fighting for the rights of black people is murdering a black child and then refusing to even turn over the person who pulled the trigger. I mean, I don't know what it takes for people to understand the part that is going on. And for even people who don't know what Marxism is, you have to know, common sense has to tell you that something is wrong here. This organization is not who they say they are. They should not be supported by anyone, black or white, because their loyalty is to one thing and one thing only, that Marxism, communism, and not the black people. Cheryl, it's amazing. Thank you for the call. Uh, 100% agree. And it's amazing that we finally heard something similar, an admission of sorts, from Don Lemon on CNN two nights ago, in which he declared that this is not about black lives. This is about police brutality and systemic change. They don't care about black lives. If they did, they would not abandon young black or black families when their young black uh, family members are killed uh, once they find out that the shooters are black as well. And, of course, I speak of Nikki, uh, Nikki uh, Crawford uh, down in Akron, who was killed uh, last month, and uh, Benjamin Crump, of course, the Black Lives Matter attorney, who said, I'm here, I'm man let's go get the white guy who did this found out there were three black suspects and he sped out of town so fast you could see the smoke coming from the back of his car like a cartoon uh had no interest in it whatsoever so blm is not about uh bl they're not about black lives they're just not uh doug in cleveland you're on am 1420 the answer hi doug go ahead hey good morning they had a commentary on that daniel satel s-i-t-t-e-l on google and the caption corruption too you drive the last 20 minutes of the timeline guy says, we took a bribe, but I can only hold you in jail six months, but have a way to hold you a Trenton site by making lies on you and can kill you when you get there. And then Danielle's WordPress says, pay attention to every word. She's caught in a human trafficking ring in a forced marriage with her captors. Says, I'm on a forced marriage. There's a person on the other end of my phone who's kept under surveillance in a perimeter. High school goal is a target for marketing, needs protection. He's physically toxic. And a postman. Okay, Doug, I appreciate your phone call, but I gotta go because I, I once again have no earthly idea what you're talking about or who you're talking about or why you are calling me about it. Uh, and in fact, you should probably do that less than you do it. I've only got about 30 seconds, but Lisa in uh, Medina. Hi, Lisa, go ahead. Hi, thanks. I guess I better be quick. Hey, I just want to let everyone know that we do have a McFan meeting this Saturday at the Copper Top, 8.30 in the morning, and we're going to have Jim Irvine from Buckeye Firearms. Buckeye Firearms, yeah. Yes. 
You got to love Jim. He he is so knowledgeable and easy to listen to, and he's going to be talking about school safety. We have so many issues and things to talk about right now, but you know we can't forget the basics. When kids go back to school, we we need to know that more and more Americans realize that too, Lisa. Thank you for the call. More and more Americans are realizing the importance of the Second Amendment, especially if our police officers aren't going to be around. If they're going to be defunded so much so that there are fewer of them, we have to protect ourselves. Uh, it'll be great to hear from Jim. Irvine, so that'll be on Saturday at the McFan meeting. Thank you so much to everybody for the time today. Don't forget, you got Mike Gallagher coming up next, and then I'm back at noon for the Dennis Prager Show, sitting in for Dennis. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.